Welcome to Future of Freedom. I'm your host, Scott Bertram. Future of Freedom is a production of America's Talking Network. You can check out all of our great podcasts at americastalking.com. To support great podcasts like this one, please donate by clicking the link in the show description. We bring you interviews today from both sides of the debate over the role of government regulation on social media for minors. In a little bit, we'll be joined by Jacob Sullum. He is senior editor at Reason, more at Reason.com. First, we're joined by Kara Frederick. She is director of the Tech Policy Center at the Heritage Foundation, more at Heritage.org. She can also be found on X, formerly Twitter, at Kara A. Frederick. Kara, thank you so much for joining us. Of course. Thanks for having me. We're talking today somewhat specifically about the Kids Online Safety Act, but also the larger question about the role of government and in regulating social media for our, our youth and our and our kids. I know that parents are concerned. I know many parents are concerned. I'm concerned. One of the main questions we need to ask, I think, is why is this a government problem and not just a parent problem to address? Yeah, so I think the big thing here is just looking at the general landscape. Our children are completely outgunned. When it comes to even people in the Biden administration, who I am not apt to agree with whatsoever, the Surgeon General himself, Vivek Murthy, uh, he, he said in January of 2023, and this is a direct quote, you have some of the best designers and product developers in the world who have designed these products to make sure people are maximizing the amount of time they spend on the platforms. And if we tell a child, use the force of your willpower to control how much time you're spending, you're pitting a child, and I would include my own words, the parent, against the world's greatest product designers. And that's just not a fair fight. And I think we've seen behind the curtain for a, a lot of what these big tech companies have done to deliberately attract children. And dare I say, especially when it comes to platforms like TikTok, addict children. We were given a, a, a brief glance behind the curtain when it came to the whistleblower docs that mm -hmm. the Wall Street Journal published from Facebook in 2021, where Facebook's own internal research revealed uh, how they built a team to try to maximize engagement to really study how they could bring in preteens. These are 9 to 11-year-olds onto the platform or design products that would specifically target this demographic. Uh, Facebook itself said that preteens are a valuable but untapped audience. So you have these uh, commercial developers, these designers, these teens, these um, you know managers and uh, product managers as well as executives in these tech companies that are deliberately designing the products to target children themselves. And you look at that against the backdrop of studies that I would submit are re reifying a causal link between social media and negative impacts on children and teenagers, especially in the West. And there are two pieces of scholarship that, that really strike this point home. And that is in January 2023, a study conducted by neuroscientists at UNC, the University of North Carolina, they found that social media use and particular social media checking behaviors it effectively rewires the brains of children as young as 12 years old. So if they're habitually using social media, it changes, uh, according to their research, likely changes their sensitivity to social rewards and punishments in their brains. So that's one study. A second one came out of Cambridge University in 2022, and it found a direct relationship between social media use and life satisfaction in younger adolescents. They discovered, and quoting from the study itself, 
Higher estimated social media use predicts a decrease in life satisfaction ratings, and lower estimated social media use predicts an increase in life satisfaction ratings. And these are during critical development stages of their lives. And, you know, we regulate things, and this is a trite comparison, but it's apropos. We regulate things that target children like the tobacco industry. What is wrong with helping parents uh, constrain some of these predations, frankly, of these big tech companies? I would submit there's not much. I want to ask specifically about some questions on the Kids Online Safety Act, which is being debated and discussed in Washington. But first, generally, do you support what's been proposed inside this piece of legislation, the Kids Online Safety Act? So as a, a C3 organization, um, we can't, you know, we can talk about the policy merits of a specific proposals, and I'm happy to say that the policy merits of this proposals are, are very good. Uh, we think that efforts, any efforts rather, to, to implement pending legislation to protect children from these, these tech companies, it should create provisions for platform accountability, for transparency. There should be recourse for kids and parents against these companies that have frankly become much more aggressive in how they target children. And then they should require degrees of transparency. Uh, public reports on breaches of parental tools, like a provision in this act, that's a great thing. Mm-hmm. And then technical safeguards, especially including things like we at the Heritage Foundation has have always um, advocated for privacy by design, um, opt-in features, uh, so you know you have more user control, and then more, the most stringent default settings that can that can possibly be instituted. I mean, this is these are not big asks from these te- these tech companies. They're they're technically feasible, and I, I don't necessarily see um, the concern with uh, trying to to check uh, the the worst impulses of the these companies and their executives generally. There's some language in the Kids Online Safety Act it says that companies need to prevent and mitigate harms that might uh, come to uh, our, our children or youngsters who are using social media that might cause depression, might cause anxiety. There's some vagueness to the language here. Who decides what content meets those requirements? Yeah, of course. As, as with all legislative proposals, you know, we're, we're almost uh, we're traipsing around the hill every day, sort of offering uh, what we think are the best policy recommendations. And as with all these proposals and recommendations, you know, the devil is always in the details. And this is something that, that we've talked about extensively. You know, harm has been a catch-all for, frankly, the left to say, oh, you, your words hurt me kind of thing. This is hate speech when it, we all know it's not really hate speech. Um, so who decides is I think it's it's up to the parents with with the recourse mechanisms that they're given with this proposal, um, and and frankly, it's up to astute legislators. Um, legislators, we know that this was this was reintroduced, and um, you know there there's still opportunities to uh, work on um, to vote on the legislation, and I think that there's a there's still room for 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 discourse when it comes to to this kind of thing. But if you want a proposal to be implemented um, there you you it, everything's not going to be perfect you're not going to have a, a perfect bill but but this is as close to it I think in terms of protecting kids online as we've seen introduced uh, with the potential to be voted on thus for, far so we shouldn't allow necessarily the the perfect to be the enemy of the good especially when the cost is your children your children's attention your children's um, as we talked about earlier, uh, brains, and frankly, your children's souls. And, and that's what I want to, 
you know, speak to that you don't hear enough in the discourse because we, we consider it very squishy, right? Especially in the text policy spaces. We don't like to talk about what the effects on the souls of the next generations are. But, you know, we've seen the verdict. The verdict is in. It, it is not good. The next generation of citizens is being, uh, frankly, corrupted uh, by what these tech companies are spewing and amplifying uh, and serving up to them. And it, I say, the risks of inaction far outweigh the risks of holding these tech companies to account, which we should have done a long time ago. What about the possibility, are you concerned about in the in in the midst of interpreting a law like this, that certain people will decide that certain content is harmful slash dangerous when it clearly is not. I, I am thinking of perhaps information websites about gun ownership or Second Amendment rights, or if you take it down the path a little bit, perhaps even you know twelve year olds, thirteen year olds who are trying to read something at the Heritage Foundation. <laughs> people might say, hey, that's not that that could cause anxiety. That's not safe for children to see. Are you concerned about the way that this might be used down the road? Oh, always. You know, uh, not this bill in particular, but when you're looking generally at, at legislation, you're, you're always going to be concerned about how this is misused. You know, one of the common refrains is, you know, don't give the government tools that could be used against us as conservatives. But I'll reiterate again, the, the price of inaction far outweighs the price of action. So the answer should not be to sit on our hands and do nothing because this could potentially be misinterpreted down the line. Look at the status quo. This is something that I think everyone should see as a five alarm fire. Again, you look at the, the academic scholarship uh, that is in ex- this, that is completely in, in this direction in terms of a confluence of evidence of, of the, I would say, the material impact and effects on children. Um, I, I, again, won't use the word harm because mm-hmm. that is something, as we've already talked about, especially when it comes to trying to make this legislation as best as possible, mm-hmm. um, that, that is something that has been abused. Um, but the, the status quo is not working. The status quo is not working for our children. The status quo is working for big tech companies, and they are only doubling down. Um, as you know, the, the violations for flouting laws like the, the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, um, this is what the FTC has fined these companies, you know, to the tune of, of even hundreds of millions of dollars. This is, this is change in the couch. Uh, it is clearly not establishing deterrence because they are doubling down on their efforts to attract children and mm-hmm. minors to these platforms. And, um, and there, there has to be some degree of recourse. You can quibble um, about a, a specific word. Uh, I assure you of a lot of very smart conservative staffers are, are working on it uh, as we speak. But again, the, the price of inaction far outweighs the, the price of holding these tech companies to account and giving parents recourse and control. Is there any concern with the legality of something like this? I may, or is there a comparison to be made between this and the, the violent video game legislation from some years ago? Supreme Court eventually weighed in on, that, on the Brown case um, and said there is a First Amendment protection for those games that, to be sold to, to minors. Is there a comparison to be made between that effort and that legislation and what's happening today? I think we're dealing with an entirely different animal. You know, we've never seen the the pervasiveness of such a um, a phenomenon that the the social media companies have have visited upon the information environment. Um, you know, we even leaving the children aspect alone. You know, we've seen it in our politics. We've seen it in uh, electoral influence uh, and impact. We we've seen it in so many different ways, but. 
when it comes to social media and tech services being linked to depression, anxiety, isolation, suicide, not to mention TikTok with its algorithm that supercharges these social contagions. Um, I, I do not think that any honest individual can take a look at the effects of these technologies and these platforms on our children and say that what is happening is good. There can be glimmers and green shoots of, um, you know, say, programs that, that help children learn and, and facilitate that in a way. But it is, oh, I, I say the confluence of evidence is overwhelmingly on the other side. Uh, children are being um, frankly, I, I fed to, to the meat grinder, <laughs> and I don't think that's an exaggeration when you look at specific studies that have linked the, the deaths of children to, say, TikTok challenges or, you know, uh, challenges that spread like wildfire on these platforms because of the singular nature of these technologies that increase the, the breadth of these issues, the precision of these issues, the scale of these issues, and the, the tailored nature of these issues as well. So we're dealing with an entirely different animal. It is not the same as video games. It is, is much worse, much more pervasive, and much more pernicious. Kira, there is a recent Utah law that involves parental consent for social media. There's age verification requirements. There's a curfew, in fact, also in that law, unless circumvented by, uh, by, by, by parent consent to do so. What do we know about that's been since March, I believe? What do we know about that law and how it has been working in Utah? Yeah, I think it's had some very salutary effects when, again, you're, you're talking about the, the welfare and the, the souls of children. Um, you look at uh, certain porn purveyors have said, uh, not just in Utah, but in other states because they're afraid of this, um, okay, we're not going to offer our, our online digital services here in the state because of fear of uh, of punishment because certain people who are used to using these platforms are now uh, potentially going to have to verify uh, their, their ages and who they are. So I think it's had some pretty salutary uh, secondhand effects. Um, I think that giving, again, parents control over their ch children's digital lives is something the majority of Americans have been clamoring for. Over 70% of Americans' uh, parents favor having some degree of administrative control over the social media platforms their children use. Um, that's a um, uh, Ethics and Public Policy Center and Institute for Family Studies uh, study. I, I think it's, it, it exposes uh, the, the desires of parents, uh, the fact that they, again, feel outmatched and outgunned by these programmers, these designers, these tech company executives, um, and, and frankly, powerless when it comes to their children and um, what they're exposed to. So I think, that, as I've said before, you know, let a thousand flowers bloom like Utah. Uh, let, let the states be the digital or the labs of democracy that they are um, and keep going when it comes to being aggressive against the, those that would target their children. And I, I think it's a good thing, and I think we should see more of it, and I'd love to see more of it. Kara Frederick is director of the Tech Policy Center at the Heritage Foundation. Find more at heritage.org. She's also on X, formerly Twitter, at Kara A. Frederick. Kara, thanks so much for joining us here on Future of Freedom. Thanks for having me. Now to hear the argument from the other side of the issue, we're joined by Jacob Sullum. He is senior editor at Reason, reason.com. Jacob, thanks so much for joining us. Sure. Thanks for having me. It's going to take a while to get used to calling Twitter X, but we'll we'll all do it yeah, at some point. I don't, I'm not sure I ever will. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they haven't changed the address yet. That's right. Yeah. So 
Who do, they, who do they think they're fooling? Well, we uh, we talked today a, a little about uh, things like Twitter and uh, social media and uh, online services. As uh, we discuss, uh, A, the Kids Online Safety Act and, and, and B, the, the role of government, if there is one in this type of, of, of regulation. Let me, let me start there, Jacob. Uh, look, some, there are some who are worried, perhaps parents especially, uh, about the impact of social media, the, the dangers of, 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 the, of things that can be found online. We know Facebook, there was a leaked memo some time ago about the harmful effects that they themselves identified uh, about Instagram's effect on, on teenage girls. When we look at all of those ingredients that come together, is it overall an appropriate use of government power to attempt to shield children and perhaps teens from dangers that might be present online? Uh, I, I generally speaking, no. Um, I think that's the role of parents. Um, you know, I've got three daughters, um, all of whom have used, you know, social media um, and occasionally have run into problems that we thought required intervention, but generally speaking, not. And I think that that is the typical experience. Um, the research you mentioned um, is actually more mixed uh, than it was just generally described in in the sense that uh, people who run into serious problems, teenagers who run into serious problems, are in the minority. And uh, it's not that, to dismiss the problem, to say it doesn't exist, it certainly does, but uh, to keep in mind that it's not typical and that it's first and foremost uh, parental responsibility to keep an eye on what your kids are doing. I want to ask specifically at the beginning, and then we can talk more in more detail about this piece of legislation called the Kids Online Safety Act, which has been uh, discussed in, in the U.S. Senate. Would you call it a bad idea? Would you call it good intentions, bad design? How, how would you describe the, the Kids Online Safety Act? Well, I think all of those descriptions apply. Um, I mean, the central problem is that it tries to impose this very broad, very vague duty of care on platforms, online games, messaging applications, streaming services. Um, and the duty of care says that the uh, these various platforms have to employ reasonable measures, and nobody knows what that means, um, to protect users younger than 17. So that's how they're defining minors in this case from a long list of potential harms that they might encounter online. Now, some of them are, are more obvious threats than others, things like sexual exploitation, physical violence, it mentions, although I'm not sure how that works online exactly. Uh, online bullying obviously can be a problem. Uh, you know, in-person bullying can also be a problem. Uh, but there are other things like anxiety, depression, suicide or suicidal ideation, eating disorder, substance abuse, addiction-like behaviors, promotion of uh, narcotic drugs, tobacco, alcohol, gambling. Now, any, many of these are very, very broad uh, concepts, um, and it's not at all clear what it means to take reasonable measures to protect minors from them. Um, so just to take one example uh, that's close to my own heart, it mentions substance abuse. Um, I write a lot about uh, drugs, and I, in fact, wrote a book about defending uh, drug use 
uh, uh, arguing that that the same distinctions we draw with respect to alcohol should be applied to, to all intoxicants, regardless of their current legal status. I wonder if this would content like that or other things I've written be considered dangerous to minors uh, because it might encourage them to use drugs. Um, what is a platform supposed to do when confronted with that question? Um, what about uh, anxiety? You know, lots of things can cause anxiety uh, or depression. Um, people on the right might have a view of content that they think might contribute to anxiety and, and depression among uh, teenagers. Uh, uh, things dealing with uh, gender identity, maybe, mm -hmm. or sexual orientation. Uh, people on the left may have a different idea of what causes uh, anxiety, depression, or some of these other problems, uh, focusing on things like hate speech. And again, another <laughs> very amorphous category. Uh -huh. uh, and the main thing about all of this content that the platforms are supposed to protect minors from is that almost all of it is constitutionally protected. Uh, we're not in the main dealing with things like obscenity or with threats, true threats, that sort of thing, which are, you know, exceptions to the First Amendment. This is all constitutional. In the main, this is constitutionally protected. So if you put platforms in the position of trying to figure out what might be construed um, as harmful to teenagers, um, they will be inclined to err on the side of what they take to be caution, which means avoiding trouble, first of all, with the FTC, which is charged with in enforcing these requirements. And secondly, and probably more worryingly, uh, they have to worry about state attorneys general who mm -hmm. can enforce this statute by bringing uh, civil actions. Um, and they, you know, they are notoriously uh, ambitious and like to grandstand and they cover a wide range of ideologies, any of which, which could be uh, potentially worrisome in this context. Uh, what will they consider to be harmful? Um, and in anticipating that threat, what will platforms uh, think might get them into trouble? I think it's a, it opens a whole can of worms. Um, and, and in practical terms, we're not just talking about restricting content for uh, teenagers and children, because if a platform serves adults as well as minors, they're going to have to filter everything. Um, uh, the other alternative would be uh, to try to exclude minors. And this leads to another problem with the bill, which is that in practice, it will encourage age verification. Mm -hmm. Even though it, it says in the text of the bill, this does not require age verification. What is a platform to do? If they are considered subject to the flaw, meaning that they either know, or I forget the exact language, it's not, they used to be reason to know, but they changed it to knowledge fairly implied on the basis of objective circumstances, whatever that might mean. It's not defined. The FTC is supposed to produce guidance about it, um, but the guidance is not binding on the FTC and it's not binding on the attorneys general. So um, you don't know whether you're actually covered and you don't know what being covered requires. Mm -hmm. All right. Let me ask a couple of questions inside there on the topic of age verification. Uh, it seems this could lead to uh, the need for age verification, as you mentioned, for these particular sites. Uh, what happens in the case of someone lying about their birthday, someone lying about their age, which side is held accountable? in that particular situation, it is there a worry about 
so much private information about individuals being uh, being transferred in a bid just to use a website? I mean, yes, there is a worry. I mean, I think the main worry uh, is a constitutional one, which is that people have a right. Children, as well as adults, have a right to uh, engage in speech anonymously without having to identify themselves. That's a well-established right. So they're not, this bill would not directly require age verification, but it would have that practical effect, meaning that people who want to be able to say stuff or even look for things, you know, without, uh, look for content, possibly controversial content, without having someone know who they are and, you know, enough identifying information so they can confirm your age, right? Um, if uh, They won't be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a real problem. Um, they, uh, the people who put together this bill heard that criticism and they did modify the bill. Um, and it and the main way they addressed that is, well, they, they said they put in language saying it does, this does not require age verification, which, as I mentioned, is no assurance because uh, in, in practice, uh, platforms who are being cautious about this uh, may find that they have to implement it anyway. And secondly, they changed uh, the knowledge standard. So it used to be, I think, um, that you either know that your users include minors or that you have reason to know. And they mm-hmm. changed that to the, the standard I mentioned, which is knowledge fairly implied on the basis of objective circumstances. Now, what what could that mean? It might mean we think, you know, a, a, a sizable share of your users are, are younger than 17. Um, and it, you can't know that without actually <laughs> finding out how old, <laughs> you know, your users are. So how, if you're trying to avoid the, the this, this, uh, the burdens imposed by this law with with potential legal consequences, um, you're kind of forced to figure out um, what the ages of your users are in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, again, uh, that that encourages uh, the age verification, which raises uh, a First Amendment issue. Should we see a difference or is there a difference, as you mentioned, First Amendment issues between uh, restricting speech being made and restricting who has access, restricting who can read, see, uh, on the context of of age, be it potentially harmful speech. We have, of course, the rating system in theaters, which prevents some uh, some kids from getting into to movies. Theoretically, uh, there are warning stickers on albums. Some of those were, were were done so by the industry themselves, not the government. But should we look at this differently between restricting speech and restricting who can access that speech? Uh, well, I mean, access to speech is also a First Amendment right. Granted, you know, I, I, I don't want five-year-olds looking at pornography, for example. Right? I think that's, that's a legitimate concern. Mm-hmm. As, to how, as to how you address that, given the limitations of age verification techniques, I'm not sure. But in terms of, of most of these other things that they're talking about, it's really um, a value judgment as to whether you think this might, might be harmful or inappropriate. Um, and keep in mind that the Supreme Court has twice said that uh, internet restrictions aimed at protecting children uh, when they uh, affect uh, access to constitutionally protected speech um, are unconstitutional. Um, They've also addressed uh, violent video games. Age restrictions with respect to the sale of violent video games also found that 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 uh, that kind of material was protected by the First Amendment. 
Um, so I don't see how the people supporting this law, which is, by the way, is lots of people. I mean, this right. is very broadly supported Bipartisan. By, mem- by members of both parties. Yeah. It's got it passed uh, the Co- Senate Commerce Committee unanimously, which, you know, is a, is a bad sign. <laughs> and, um, and and, you know, it has the word kids. <laughs> in the in the title, so that, those are two strikes again. It's that before you even uh, look at the text of the bill, um, and I and I think, like you said, who can be against you know protecting children, mm-hmm. right? Uh, nobody in the abstract is against that, but but when it gets down to the details of what that entails, people, you know, differ a lot, or not harmful. Explicit lyrics in songs, violent video games. We've talked about both. It does seem that every now and then there is a topic like this that involves speech and access that that comes up. And most times there is a way that we find ourselves moving forward from it. Do you see this particular issue of of online access, of social media, of how social media affects children in any way fundamentally different from those other types of concerns parents have had in past years, past decades? No, I think it's essentially uh, the same concern. It comes up over and over again, you know, throughout history. You know, novels were a threat. Comic books were a threat. Rock music was a threat. Before that, jazz was a threat, right? (laughs) Um, So uh, you you periodically see these concerns about uh, the younger generation, even though their parents may very well have dealt with the, the thing that was supposedly a menace back then, and they, they survived fine. Um, I, there's, a, there's naturally a tendency for parents to be more worried about what their kids are doing versus what they did, you know, when they were younger. Um, and I, I think that that's, uh, you know, a psychological tendency we sort of have to guard against and try to look at this in perspective uh, more rationally. One other example, by the way, of, of what this, this bill might cover is it refers to um, I think addiction-like behaviors, mm-hmm. and that, I think that's that's pretty clearly aimed at this idea that uh, features of social media or other platforms are so appealing and enticing that kids become totally absorbed in it, and it disrupts their lives because they're not doing things they should do. And uh, not to dismiss that problem out of hand, but. But again, getting down to the details, what are the implications of that? Pretty much anything that makes a platform appealing or useful or attractive, which generally speaking, you know, platforms are trying to do, Mm -hmm. trying to to appeal to users, could be considered potentially harmful because it might lead lead to addiction-like behavior, right? So, I, I mean, this seems to me to be an indirect way of trying to uh, limit the features that uh, uh, platforms can use. And those are features that that users, for the most part, like. Otherwise, they wouldn't be offered. Yeah. Otherwise, they would go to other platforms that don't have those features. You know, I mean, just things like likes and infinite scrolls and, uh, you know, autoplay, all, all, all these features that people complain about, um, they're there for a reason. They're there because users, by and large, like those features. Um, now, maybe sometimes they like them too much, right? And that can create a problem. But I just don't see any way to regulate that from the top down in a way that won't harm uh, the vast majority of users. Jacob Solom is senior editor at Reason. You can find him at Reason.com and on Twitter or X at Jacob Solom. Jacob, thank you so much for joining us here on Future of Freedom. Sure. Thank you.
We thank both of our guests for joining us on today's program. That's Kara Frederick, Director of the Tech Policy Center at the Heritage Foundation, more at heritage.org, and Jacob Sullum, Senior Editor at Reason, more at reason.com. For more episodes of the Future of Freedom podcast and other fine podcasts from America's Talking Network, check out americastalking.com or wherever you find your podcasts. Thank you for listening to Future of Freedom, presented by America's Talking Network.